You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. A Saanich toddler at the center of a parental abduction case has been found safe in the UK. Little Cadence was allegedly abducted back in 2016 when she was just 19 months old. Kylie Stanton has more on where she was found and why a number of people are now facing charges. I've waited in painful silence. Finally, the wait is over. It's been more than three years since Tasha Brown last saw her daughter Cadence, not knowing where she was, always fearing the worst, until now. We're thrilled to be able to report that Cadence, who was abducted by her mother back in 2016, has been located. Lauren Etchells is Cadence's mother. In May of 2016, the two allegedly boarded a flight out of Canada, along with her then new partner, Marco Vandermeer, and their newborn son, Marcus, violating a court order between Etchells and Brown. Since then, Etchells, who has British citizenship, traveled from the UK to France, then the Netherlands, to the Middle East, and possibly to Spain and Portugal. Even after ending her relationship with her partner, she and the children continued to travel throughout Europe using their UK passports, until Interpol published a red notice, stopping her movements, at least officially. The Jersey police had a report of a suspicious boat landing on their shores. So they went and investigated it. Um, you know, not realizing what they were going to come upon. Jersey is a small island in the English Channel, 12 nautical miles off the coast of France. On July 1st, Lauren, her parents and the two small children were found landing a 13-foot inflatable dinghy on the shores, just south of St. Catherine. They called the bluff of the story that was being provided, determined their identities, and of course the flag popped up. They realized that she was wanted in Canada, and they also realized that Cadence was an abducted child. Lauren Etchells has been charged with child neglect in relation to the dinghy being deemed unsafe for the children to travel in. On top of that, there are immigration offenses. But her parents, Angela and Brian Etchells, have also been charged, both with aiding and abetting immigration offenses. All three have since entered guilty pleas. But the extradition proceedings for Lauren are ongoing, and it could still be some time before Cadence comes home. It's just not straightforward. It's not just putting Cadence on an airplane and shuttling her back to Canada. But she will come home. I am swirling. I am happy. I am overwhelmed. To a mother who's I'm wanted nothing more. Her worst fears finally put to rest. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Saanich. Vancouver police are appealing for information about an assault that sent a man in a wheelchair to hospital with serious injuries. It happened this morning. Police were called to the underground parking lot of an apartment building on Cecil Street near Kingsway. The victim, a 44-year-old Vancouver man, was transported to hospital where he remains in serious condition. And it's going to take some time to establish a clear motive in this. Uh, so we are working on that. We are trying to put it all together. And we are asking for help from the public uh, to come forward with any information you have, including dash cam video, uh, if you have cell phone video, or if you have any knowledge at all about this uh, incident, to please call us. And the VPD also need your help in finding 61-year-old David Sullivan. He has diabetes and dementia and was last seen June 27th walking on Alexander Street near Gore Street. He was last seen wearing a red and white checkered patterned shirt, shorts and flip-flops. He's also known to wear a tag around his neck with his address on it. Anyone who sees him is asked to call 911 and stay with him until first responders arrive. 
Now to a disturbing discovery in Colombia that has lower mainland connections. Police in that country identifying a burned body found last month as a Vancouver man. Catherine Urquhart has more on what we know about 47-year-old Richard Yen Fat Chu and his alleged involvement in the drug trade and money laundering in this province. 47-year-old Richard Yen Fat Chu, a major target of Vancouver police and the RCMP, has been murdered in Colombia. Colombian News is reporting Chu's stabbed and burned body was found near the border with Venezuela on June 20th, one day after he was reported missing. Colombian police say Chu had identified himself as part of a transport company that sold fruits and vegetables. Coincida con el ciudadano. In 2002, Chu pleaded guilty to heroin trafficking charges in the U.S. In Canada, he was investigated for suspected money laundering and drug trafficking, linked to ePirate, Canada's largest money laundering investigation. All charges in the case eventually stayed. In 2017, Chu's wife Kimberly was the focus of a civil forfeiture case after Vancouver police seized more than $300,000 found in the Audi she was driving. As for Richard Chu's murder, both Vancouver police and the RCMP are not saying if it impacts any ongoing investigations. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Well, music to the ears of many parents, the, prom the province promising today 2,300 new affordable childcare spaces in Vancouver. They will be created over the next three years. Nadia Stewart has more on how they'll be funded. Without question, there is a need for more affordable childcare spaces across the metro area. To close the gap for parents desperate for a break. Along with the city of Vancouver, together over the next three years, we will create 2,300 new childcare spaces for families living here in the city of Vancouver. The plan is to use existing facilities to house new spaces, elementary schools, community centers, libraries. Mayor Kennedy says they'll make room because they can't afford not to. Vancouver has an estimated shortfall of approximately 17,000 childcare spaces. And access to affordable, quality childcare remains a challenge for many families. Government subsidies are lowering the cost of childcare for parents, regardless of income, by up to $350 a month. We are already seeing 20,000 families benefiting from $10 a day cost or less. About 8,000 of them are paying zero cost, uh, no cost for, for childcare at all. This is going to create some new access, get families off waiting lists. After decades of lobbying, Sharon Gregson says the spaces will meet a long ignored need. We know that childcare is in a terrible state. It's been allowed to descend into chaos in this province over the last couple of decades. And so it's going to take a while to turn that around. This is a giant step in the right direction for families in Vancouver. But even with Thursday's announcement, Liberal MLA Lori Thronis says the government is still a long ways off from fulfilling its childcare promise. They promised 24,000 childcare spaces in three years. And in their first year, they created 4,000 out of 24,000. It's just not credible. To date, the province says 8,000 new licensed childcare spaces have been funded across B.C. And they say they're on target with more announcements to come. Nadia Stork, Global News. Affordability mentioned several times during that press conference. Keith Baldry <laughs> joins us with more. Keith, if there were a report card for how the NDP is faring on the affordability crisis, how mm -hmm. would it read? 
Well, a mixed bag of goods here, uh, uh, Sophie. And, of course, we just happen to have a report card on affordability, almost the halfway point of the BCNDP's term in office. Affordability is what they ran on. Here's how they're doing. Child care, I'm going to give them a B, even though they've got a long way to go to fulfill those promises. People are benefiting from these child care spaces being created. Transportation, another good high grade there as they're investing in a new Patello Bridge, a Broadway subway line, Surrey, uh, rapid transit, and a huge capital budget there. Health care and education, again, high marks there because there's huge amounts of new money going into both sectors. A billion dollars plus in healthcare, more than 200 million in education, plus a huge capital budget. But here's where things get a little more murky. Housing. Uh, let's give them an incomplete grade here because it'll take some time to break the housing spine here. It's, there's still a rental crisis, even though the benchmark price of homes in Greater Vancouver has dropped below a million dollars. It doesn't make them any more affordable. So an incomplete grade there and a poor grade, a failing grade when it comes to the bane of the NDP always is taxes. Uh, the, not so much the speculation tax, but the new employer's health tax that's uh, been kicking in for a few months now is starting to have an impact on a lot of small businesses, Sophie. And I think you're going to see a lot of protests and complaints about that particular tax in the months ahead. So as I said off the top, a mixed bag for the NDP, some good marks on some of the social side, not so much on the taxation side. Bs across the board. Well, for the first three items anyway. Thanks very much, Keith. It's not quite a scramble, but starting today, the city of Vancouver is testing out the all-walk crosswalk. Walk sign is on for all crossings. Walk sign is on for all crossings. The trial is now underway at the intersection of Robson and Hornby. Pedestrians from any corner can walk within existing crosswalks at the same time. The city says it offers the greatest safety benefits with large volumes of both pedestrians and turning vehicles. The trial will last until the end of August. The city will also be looking at including diagonal crossing in the longer term rollout, which would make it a traditional scramble crosswalk. Well, a move is underway tonight to save a BMX bike trail known as Cush Woods. The spot has operated for more than a decade until a worker with the city of Burnaby happened to stumble upon it. And now they want to get rid of it. But as Jill Bennett tells us, the backlash from the biking community is growing. Getting that kind of air and landing perfectly takes some practice. And dedicated BMX riders have been practicing here at this secret bike park in Burnaby for years. And what we've developed out there is Canada's largest and one of the best BMX trail systems that the country has. But the problem is the bike park, which Jones and other riders started building and maintaining 14 years ago, sits in a conservation area owned by the city. A city worker stumbled upon the impressive site in June and the signs went up, it must come down. It's a conservation area and so they're designed to protect trees, habitat, slope stability, which is vitally important in that area. Over the years, this place has produced a lot of talent. But those behind this expansive course argue they are more than just riders. We've been very, very diligent in our trail stewardship, in our environmental stewardship, and keeping that place low-key just because of the nature of, you know, wanting to keep it ours. Now that the city knows about the park, called Cush Woods, there are also liability issues. The city has no interest in being a fun stomper. What we want to do is meet demand for recreation activities that's safe and not in, a, in protected areas. In just a few days, nearly 10,000 people have signed this petition to save the bike park, but it seems that won't be enough. The city has already started clearing out what crews have identified as hazardous trees leading to the site. More discussions are planned to try and find a solution, 
maybe another location. They want to demolish a volunteer already created asset. Let's talk. Let's talk before we do this. Jill Bennett, Global News. Right now, safe by seconds, a man and his dog nearly squashed by a tree that came crashing down in North Vancouver. Aaron MacArthur has the video that shows their narrow escape and why some feel this safety hazard has been created by the city. The sound is clear. The crack of the tree can be heard dozens of meters away. The willow flops down. Look closely. You can see a man walking his dog jump out of the way. It was that close to disaster. By seconds, by mere seconds, he turned around and looked, and had he been a second or two later, he would have been crushed. Him and his dog would have been done for. Joel Polslin owns the building across the street. He believes the tree is symptomatic of a larger issue in the city of North Vancouver. He says the municipality hasn't kept up with maintenance in this green space. They do cut the grass there uh, on the lot o lots over there a good couple, two, three times a summer, which is fine. But they don't properly maintain, they don't do a proper maintenance on the trees ever. And so this was a, something that could have been avoided. It's not like there was a wind. It's not like there was, had been a big storm or anything like that. We reached out to the city of North Vancouver for comment. Our phone calls were not returned. However, in a statement that was published in the North Shore News, the city says all the trees around the willow were inspected for damage and that the city takes pride in maintaining its public spaces. While no one was hurt when this tree came crashing down, Poslins believes it was too close for comfort, and he wants more than just platitudes from city staff. They have to decide if they don't want people to use it as a dog walking park, then they can't maintain it like that. They have to put a fence around it and keep people out. If they do want to do it like this, then they have to own up to it, and they got to put the money into it, just like the streets, just like the sidewalks. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Residents of a Kelowna condominium complex are at their wit's end tonight. They were displaced by a massive fire nearly two years ago. And as Claudia Van Emmerich reports, they're still months away from returning home. You can't see the, the high ceiling because of the scaffolding. George Mapson's Kelowna condo unit is in the process of being rebuilt after a massive inferno destroyed it. And all we saw was blue sky when everything was vaporized in this unit. We lost everything. It was July 8, 2017, when flames from a neighboring building under construction jumped and spread to the Water's Edge building on Trusswell Road. The fire destroyed 22 of the 65 units and displaced all 130 residents due to smoke and water damage throughout the building. Two years later, and residents are still out of their homes. It's been incredibly tough. Mapson is the strata president. He says the majority of residents are seniors. Many have had to move multiple times since being forced out due to a challenging rental accommodation market. Usually in the summertime you have to leave your rental place because the tourists pay a lot more rent. Charlene Hodson is wheelchair bound and found it impossible to find a rental. I was looking for something very specialized and that just doesn't exist here forcing her to buy a second home and spending thousands of dollars to modify it. I had to spend approximately $60,000 to renovate the home that I'm in now uh, to make it wheelchair accessible. Are you happy with the window? 
Coulter Developments began reconstructing the building a year ago after the demolition and mold remediation work was completed. VP Kelly LaRue says it's by far the most challenging rebuild project he's ever undertaken. Every unit is, is customized, um, so we have to meet with every owner multiple times uh, to ensure we put the unit back to what it was pre-fire. The construction company hopes to have this building ready for occupancy by the end of this year. Granted, it doesn't run into any unforeseen circumstances or challenges. A timeline LaRue really hopes to be able to meet. Claudia Van Emmer, Global News, Kelowna. A very large reminder of the critical importance of B.C.'s waterways was unveiled in Vancouver today. A giant map of the Fraser watershed, about the size of half a basketball court, it was produced by the Royal Canadian Geographical Society. Fraser Watershed Initiative commissioned that map, which includes information about the threats facing the watershed from environmental and economic decline. It's intended to be a stark reminder of the importance of the watershed to the entire province. On days like this, when you get a lot of people in the, same, in the same room that have the same vision and the same passion for problems that need to be solved, uh, there's only positive that can come from that. As you can see, the Fraser Watershed um, uh, is the heart of the province that provides life to the whole province. That's from the Indigenous pr- pr- perspective. And it's, uh, it will be a very great um, educational, educational tool that we can use for students and children for the future. Along with making appearances in schools, the map will tour town hall meetings across the province. Well, this week marks five years since Ronald McDonald House moved into its new home on the grounds of BC Children's Hospital. Meteorologist Christy Gordon is there to help celebrate, has been working with Ronald McDonald House for a long time. And Christy, it's really a vital resource to help families stay together during really challenging times. It certainly is, Sophie. You know, this new house is exceptional. It provides a home away from home for 2,000 families per year. That's 10 times what they used to be able to do with the old home. But it wouldn't all happen without the amazing volunteers, a group of people from the Hyatt Regency providing dinner for all the families. Patrick Hartney here, he's the longest serving volunteer. There's 250 volunteers here at the home. Patrick, you come here three to four times a week. What keeps bringing you back year after year, day after day? It's really quite simple. It's what you see going on behind us. It's the families, it's the children. Um, It's being able to contribute in some small part to their home away from home, which is what Ron McDonald House is. Um, And it's quite rewarding to all of us as volunteers that uh, we're able to make that contribution. The, The reward to me personally is one of a thank you from a mother, a parent, or a smile from a child. Right. What would you say to someone at home that maybe uh, hasn't volunteered here at Ronald McDonald House? We would love for you to come and see us. We'd love for you to join us, um, get a hold of the house. We have a number of incredible roles, guest of house, host of house, family meal host, arts and crafts. And so many smiling faces to welcome Absolutely. you here. Yes. If you can volunteer or you may want to go to their website and con- uh, contribute by helping out the house. Uh, thank you so much, Patrick, for all of your work here. Uh, people are enjoying dinner. We'll be back in a little bit with your forecast. It's been a bit gray. We're hoping for some sunshine. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you. I said, and she okay, grabbed me. We're going through an earthquake. Like, Please tell me you guys are feeling this earthquake. See everything around you shaking. A lot of frayed nerves tonight in Southern California after the strongest earthquake to hit the state in 20 years. 
Powerful 6.4 quake struck just after 10.30 in the morning and was followed by aftershocks causing mostly minor damage and at least two fires. Now, luckily, the epicenter was in the Mojave Desert, which limited the damage. But seismologists are warning aftershocks could continue for several more days. It struck at 10.33 a.m., flames quickly engulfing this home. Due to an earthquake, pull all units out from your station. Firefighters responding after an earthquake started the 4th of July in Southern California with a bang. The epicenter in Ridgecrest in the Mojave Desert. We have multiple commercial fire alarms. In nearby Trona, California, the quake was so powerful, it split the asphalt on this highway. All the knickknacks and things from the cabinets were flying out like missiles. In aisle after aisle at grocery stores and convenience stores, merchandise tossed off shelves, floors damaged. Much of it was captured on security cameras. The quake turning swimming pools into wave pools. Inside local restaurants, a scramble for the exits. Panic and fear as the rumble shattered the holiday. Striking five miles deep, the magnitude 6.4 quake rattled the region, shaking the earth as far away as Las Vegas, Arizona, even reaching parts of San Diego. 20 million people in the earthquake zone. What the heck? In Los Angeles, 150 miles from the epicenter, chandeliers rattling. While the damage was limited, it was the strongest earthquake in Southern California in more than 20 years. Today, 36 aftershocks were reported in the first 90 minutes. Dozens more are expected through the day. It was more of a back and forth rolling motion. It was a good shaker. Lester was also in L.A. and felt the quake. This one just was a series of waves. It just roughly the same intensity, but like being on an ocean. And what really struck in my mind, different than any earthquake I'd, I'd experienced, was that it didn't seem to end. It just kept going and going and going. At the Ridgecrest Regional Hospital, where many often turn for help, they had to send patients away before later reopening their emergency room. I was running to stay with myself because I don't, didn't want that the roof or TV or something follow myself. Tonight, a region on edge with nerves rattled as the earth continues to shake. An earthquake also shook parts of northern Vancouver Island overnight. The magnitude 6.2 quake was centered nearly 200 kilometers offshore from Port Hardy. While the tremor was lightly felt on Vancouver Island, there are no reports of any damage and no tsunami warning was issued. Well, it is the 4th of July, so you'd expect some spectacular fireworks shows in the U.S. Unfortunately, this one in South Carolina was not planned. A fire broke out in a container storing fireworks, sending explosions and light into the sky. Firefighters scrambled to keep the fire from spreading because the container was in a parking lot located between two fireworks stores. Luckily, they managed to control the fire and prevent a much bigger emergency. No one was injured and there's no word on the cause. Well, we have been reporting on problems caused by lug nuts, either improperly tightened or loosened by vandals. And now a Toronto couple is coming forward with their plea for people to be more careful. As Global's Catherine McDonald reports, a freak accident involving a runaway wheel has changed their life forever. He's a little agitated now, too, so it's, it gets a little harder to understand him the more agitated he is. And this is from the brain injury? This is from the brain injury. 
Bella DiBartolo and Benjamin Shank will be celebrating their two-year wedding anniversary next month. But the couple's future is now uncertain after Ben was critically injured and left with a traumatic brain injury in May. What was Ben like before? He was kind. He was hardworking. He was a good husband. We both liked to like help people. We were taking care of my dad who has, you know, stage four cancer. And uh, the day of the accident, we were helping we're going to help his father and mother, who also, his father has stage four cancer as well. It was the Victoria Day long weekend when Ben and Bella were driving northbound on Highway 400 to Ben's parents' cottage. And suddenly, she heard Ben scream. He was like, oh my God. I look and I see this object coming at me. I didn't really understand what it was at the time. And then I realized when it hit us what it was. Police say a wheel from a southbound vehicle had come loose and struck the roof of their Mazda 3. I just knew that the car was still moving, like, full speed ahead. Bella says Ben went silent, and without looking at him, she jumped into action. I tried to stop the car by crawling over him and pressing on the brakes. It wasn't working. I decided to just crash into the median. The car finally came to a stop. Bella, still in shock, was too afraid to look at Ben. I thought I was already dead. I thought he was already dead. I just thought it was the end of us. Ben was in a coma for a month. He suffered a broken jaw, a broken wrist, as well as cuts to his face, head and hands, along with a traumatic brain injury. The 32-year-old who worked as a project manager for a construction company still cannot properly talk nor walk, and his prognosis is unclear. The driver who lost his wheel remained at the scene but has yet to be charged. Ben's wife believes someone should be held accountable. It's negligence. It wasn't Ben's negligence. The couple hopes the story is a reminder to each and every driver to make sure their vehicle is safe. People are always in a rush. A rush for what? You know, make sure you're safe so that you don't kill yourself or you you kill anybody else. Catherine McDonald, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, a warning from Vancouver Coastal Health. A deadly mushroom that killed a three-year-old boy in Victoria in 2016 has now been found in Vancouver. The death cap mushroom was found on private property in the 10th and Yukon area. Coastal Health says no one has fallen ill, but it warns that eating the death cap can lead to liver and kidney damage and death. It's very, very serious. Uh, we particularly worry about children and pets who might not know what they're consuming. So we really encourage people, if they spot something that looks like a death cap mushroom, to dispose of it and keep kids and pets away. Coastal Health says people should put the death cap in the garbage, not in their compost, because the mushroom won't properly compost and might end up back in their garden. Some surprising news tonight about breast cancer prognosis relating to marital status. The study of nearly 300,000 breast cancer patients published in the Journal of Cancer Medicine found that married patients have a better prognosis than patients who are single. And single patients have a better prognosis than women who are divorced, separated or widowed. The study's authors say the results underline the importance of psychosocial support for breast cancer patients. It's the first of its kind in North America and a cornerstone of C-SPAN's five-year safety and training program, a new state-of-the-art marine simulator. Ted Trenecki has more on how the 360-degree virtual experience will help train tug operators in real-world scenarios. One of these tugs burns fuel at a rate of about $1,500 an hour. That alone is good enough reason to think simulator. 
C-SPAN is unveiling their two new computer systems that are tailored to their fleet of tugs and the environment in which they operate. Any weather condition, you know, night, day, fog, clear visibility, whatever, whatever needs, whatever your scenario requires. We can put a hurricane in the harbor here if you want, and the guy that runs the simulator loves doing it. 17 computers, 12 80-inch screens costing $1.5 million. On top of that, a total training budget of another $5 million. C-SPAN has over 30 tugs operating throughout BC's coastline, so that's a lot of training to do. We were sending our mariners over to the UK to get their training, very expensive, and, um, and it was somewhat limited. It was a very short period of time that you could do that. So we felt that uh, having our own simulator here, giving our mariners access any time to the simulator was a way better model. Delta Port has been talking about a two to three billion dollar expansion of the Roberts Bank container terminal for years. It's still under review and traffic is expected to increase up and down the Fraser and within Vancouver Harbour with additional grain elevators and a possible twinning of the Kinder Morgan pipeline. The people of, the, of Vancouver have an expectation that it be done safely and, uh, and certainly we felt that this was one way we could uh, address that concern. Mariners will train on the simulators for two weeks and then move on to the real tugs to complete their course or upgrade. Best video game you'll ever play. Ted Chernacki, Global News. An indoor police chase in New Hampshire has cops on edge. The suspect reveals itself right after the forecast. All right, we saw her a little bit earlier. Meteorologist Christy Gordon is at Ronald McDonald Health celebrating five years. And it's a bit of a great day, though, Christy. It is, but still you can see kids out here playing. This is one of the great areas here at Ronald McDonald House, an outdoor play area, basketball court and bikes and things. You know, the team here works so hard to really minimize the stress of the families here as they go through one of the most difficult times of their lives. Part of that is the financial stress. They save families often three to $5,000 a month by being able to stay here. But the other part is, of course, keeping the kids happy and entertained. And they've got all sorts of activity rooms like this or outdoor rooms like this around the house. Now, as you mentioned, yes, a great day. And unfortunately, that's the pattern for the next few days. We're seeing majority of the moisture in through the interior regions. But for the south coast, it's just a chance of showers. And it's interesting, we're getting the opposite weather that they are seeing back east with a cool upper level trough, whereas they're seeing a nice ridge. And as this pattern, as I mentioned, this pattern really is going to last for the next three days. It has meant good news for the fire danger rating, not for the south coast. You'll note moderate to high still for the south coast because we haven't had a ton of moisture. Majority of that rain really is in the interior and drought levels overall are still quite low. Uh, are still quite low. They haven't had a lot of moisture and you'll note even with the rainfall in the interior only 5 to 10 millimeters of rain expected. Northern BC sunshine tomorrow, cloud and showers across the south with slight risk of a thunderstorm in the southeast. For the south coast it's just a chance of showers, cooler conditions tomorrow and for the next three days but then we come out of it for a few days on Monday with more sunshine and warmth. Certainly the cloud and showers has made, meant, though, some good news for the fire danger rating all across the province. Great to see the smiles here, Sophie. And uh, we'll be showing you one or more room when I come back in a little bit. A future Kawhi Leonard on that court for sure. <laughs> Thanks, Christy. Yes, good point. Well, police officers are trained to handle all manner of dangerous situations except perhaps this one. A couple of New Hampshire officers are startled to discover a squirrel in their back room. When they get over their initial shock, they try to wrangle the squirrel toward an open door, but it hides behind a garbage can. 
when it finally scampers out, one of the officers gives it a nudge and out it goes. They say the squirrel wasn't hurt. <laughs> the guy was doing, it looked like a little dance. Uh, yeah, he was running very, very bizarrely. Oddly? Yeah, odd. It was very odd. It looked like a Looney Tunes cartoon. It did look, yeah, it looked like, he looked like he ran like his pants were too tight or something. It was, it was. But he was, yeah, he was having a chafing issue. So Kawhi Watch is just continuing then, I guess. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand this. And people standing out in front of the hotel. In Toronto? Just be cool. He'll, he'll let be you know. Cool. He'll let you know. If, but he has a house, I, I, like I think in North York. He lives in the suburbs of Toronto, so I don't know if he'd I be staying know. at the hotel anyway. I know that was where the meeting was, apparently. Who knows? All right, the man himself, Squire Barnes. You know, at the end of the show, I'm going to show you the hot dog eating contest, so you may want to look away. Uh, but I really try to pick the most ungross parts, if that's a word. The uh, BC Lions have lost their first three games the same way, by falling apart in the second half. It happened against Winnipeg. It happened against Edmonton. Last weekend, it happened in Calgary. Good thing they're playing Toronto this Saturday because Toronto is terrible right now. And what happened in the first three games probably shouldn't happen against Toronto. At least you would hope. Straight up. Do the same for Just when it seemed like the Lions would get their first win last week in Calgary, they gave up 15 points in the final 90 seconds and lost again. It was an epic collapse for a defense that had very high hopes at the start of the season, implementing a bend-but-don't-break mentality. We've been breaking too damn much. <laughs> the Lions brought in defensive guru Rich Stubler, who's been in the CFL for some 30 years. His defenses are known for giving up yards, but not a lot of points in the red zone. But so far, the Lions have surrendered an average of 36 points per game. We got better last week. Um, I think anybody can agree with that. For the first three and a half quarters, we did a lot of bending, but no breaking. Um, had them to field goals, and then in the last few minutes, we, we broke. We broke bad. So those are things we're working on, you know, that finish, being able to finish and being able to uh, bend but don't break for four quarters. The Stubler defensive style is anything but traditional. It involves a lot of adjustments and reads on the fly. And to say it's a work in progress is an understatement. Well, it's a unique system and it's, you know, it's almost like trying to get the guys to learn how to ride a bike when they're used to riding a skateboard. It's a, it's a process. We're trying to get guys to do some things that they've never been taught to do. And even though we have veteran guys, our veterans are 26, 27, so they've been in one system for the four years that they've been in the league at the point. So it's almost like breaking bad habits type of thing. It's all about the communications amongst all 12 defenders, and that takes time and trust. Just us getting used to each other. That's all it is. You got new team, new players, and a new coach. So we just still getting adjusted to the scheme of things. And like I said, we still making progress. And we're happy with our progress that we're making. We just laying foundations. As long as we're moving forward, right? You know, the next step for us is getting in the win column. You know, we've, we've taken all the steps except the final win. And that's what we plan on doing this week. Ah, Tiger Cats, Alouettes, Thursday Night Football, CFL action, Jeremiah Mazzoli, he's running, he's throwing, it's a touchdown, oh, that's a good catch, Jalon Acklin, last time we checked, the score was 18-16 in the third for Hamilton. The Canucks signed free agent right winger Justin Bailey, he was a second round draft choice of the Sabres in 2013, recently with the Flyers organization. He's a big guy. He's around 6'3". He's played 63 NHL games, but 
it's likely he's going to be in the minor league system as a Canucks spare part. His dad, Carlton, was actually an NFL linebacker. Scored a touchdown in the 1992 AFC Championship game. There's some trivia for you. Okay, BC boys doing well at the 3M Golf Tournament in Minnesota. Nick Taylor of Abbotsford, great front nine. That's a birdie on five to get it to four under par. On the seventh hole, he puts this one about nine feet away. Now his buddy from Abbotsford, Adam Hadwin, had a great day, but he played early when the cameras weren't there for some weird reason. Anyway, he's tied for second at minus seven. Hadwin is. Taylor is at four under par. Marriage Roger Sloan, this is for Eagle. He is tied for 18th. The leader is Scott Piercy at nine under. All right, Kelowna's Kelsey Surwa, the one leading this ski cross race from 2016 in the X Games, is retiring at the age of 29. She won Olympic gold in 2018, silver in 2014. She won the gold at the 2011 World Championships, two golds in the X Games. Her gold medal in the 2018 Olympics came a year after she had a serious knee injury. We should have retired at 29. I know, but we'd be broke. Nick Kyrgios and Rafael Nadal. Look what Kyrgios just did. The underhand serve. <laughs> I don't think Nadal likes him very much. Anyway, because when he scored this point against Kyrgios, he was rather demonstrative, should we say. Anyway, Nadal won this in four sets. There you go. Oh, the hot dog eating contest. Look away. Gross. Joey Chestnut won his 12th title by eating 71 hot dogs in 10 minutes. I know. Disturbing. Uh, top woman was Miki Sudo, who ate 31 hot dogs. He does not look well, does he? Yeah, he doesn't look well. He really wants to. You should win the mustard belt, the $10,000, and all the Pepto-Bismol yeah, you no can kidding. drink. Have there some you tums. go. All right, thanks, Squire. Well, some new concerns about personal privacy tonight when it comes to Amazon's personal assistant. The company is admitting that it keeps records of some interactions with Alexa longer than most people might think. Tonight, Amazon admitting it may be keeping track of what you say to Alexa. In a letter to Congress, the online shopping giant revealing that even if you delete your voice recordings, Alexa, Amazon holds on to a record of what you say indefinitely. Writing, we do not store the audio of Alexa's response. However, we may still retain other records of customers' Alexa interactions, including records of actions Alexa took in response to the customer's request. That means Amazon could store data about when you've ordered an Uber or a food delivery to your home. Last year, in an exclusive interview inside Amazon headquarters, we pressed the head of Alexa, Tony Reid, on privacy. Can customers trust Alexa? Absolutely. And, you know, part of that is on us from an education perspective, uh, so that customers understand the new technology. And for us to uh, really educate customers and to be able to answer their questions about what is happening. Amazon says storing what you ask Alexa to do trains the artificial intelligence to better serve you in the future. It's important to recognize that if you're going to use one of these devices for convenience sake, that you're giving up a certain amount of privacy. Leaving consumers wondering who's listening on the other side. Jolene Kent, NBC News, New York. I mean, if you didn't think that it was... Well, you know... Keeping that stuff, then... 
<laughs> Can't you just? I, I still think I should just go Talk and turn my just turn my own lights on and my exactly. own stereo. I don't think I need exactly. that, that thing to do it. All right, quick uh, check in with Christy once more at Ronald McDonald House in the Lego Room, Christy. A robo Lego rooms where they do Lego with robotics. All of these guys have been working hard all day. You know, the team here really does a great job at providing lots of different activities for these kids. And this really keeps the kids busy. Uh, so, so much fun for the kids here. Right, kids? Having fun? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> all right, you guys. We'll talk to you a little later. All right. Enjoy, Christy. Christy, we'll get right in there. Oh, I know. We would get right in there. Oh, I know. But uh, we wreck stuff. <laughs> Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good evening.